Welcome to How We Win, the official podcast of The Persistence. Action is the best antidote for anxiety, and we can all make a difference right now. Today, Trump is indicted yet again. We are Mm. going to talk about effective messaging, really important, around his now three criminal indictments. And joining us for our very timely interview is former impeachment manager and representative for California's 14th Congressional District, Eric Swalwell. I'm Steve Pearson. I'm Jennifer Fernandez-Ancona. And And this this is How We Win. Hi, Steve. Good to see you again. <laughs> it's good to be back. It was nice to have a little bit of a of a break. Um, but I heard yeah. I heard from the grapevine. I heard from listening to our own podcast that uh, uh, you got COVID. How, are you feeling all better mm-hmm. now? Yes, I'm all better, hundred percent. And um, my family, my kid got it, but my husband Dan didn't end up getting it, which is great. Um, and so. Yeah, we survived our second round of COVID and hopefully our last, (laughs) knock on wood. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, good. Well, I'm glad you all are doing okay. And uh, I I went overseas for my nephew's incredible wedding in Scotland. Yeah, how was it? It was so beautiful and, um, you know, kind of nice to get out of the grind for a little bit. Um, But, uh, you know, at the end, everyone got COVID. I didn't get it, fortunately. My wife and daughter didn't, but a lot of people got it. And, um, you know, I I saw an article recently saying, should we be worried about COVID again? Because we are seeing spikes. So uh, just a heads up to folks out there, especially if you're, um, you know, uh, more vulnerable, please be careful. Um, Yeah. It it is going around. And... um, and uh, hey, shout out to Jess, too, who is on her vacay right now. I believe she's up in Nova Scotia or something like that. Is that right? Something I, like that. Am I making yeah. that up? I'm putting her there <laughs> no, right now. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's, it's, it's summer vacation time. So glad everyone's getting a chance to have a little break. We took a break, too, last week after post-COVID and went to the woods, and it was lovely. So Nice. Good. It's good. good. Well, we all got a break. You know who's not getting a break? Donald Trump. <laughs> Donald Trump. <laughs> Crimers got a crime and they got to be held accountable. And yeah. um, we finally, we heard uh, just before recording this, only for the second time we heard what it sounds like to hear Jack Smith's voice. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah. yeah, now the third. Um, third third and, and we we spoke we spoke about this a little bit with uh, Representative Swalwell. Uh, we recorded the interview with him a few days ago. Last week. So mm-hmm. yeah, last week. So the in- indictment hadn't come through, but we knew it was imminent. Um, and uh, you know, there's you know, we're all like the Schadenfreude, the excitement over this, and everything. There's a lot of different ways that we could talk about this, but there actually is some really important and effective messaging. Uh, that we need to lean into for this. So as always, yeah. I, I want to defer to you, Jennifer, our resident messaging guru, um, and and hear like, how should we be talking about now this third indictment? 
Yeah, no, it's it's a great point. Um, because of course, it matters how we talk about these things. We can't control what is going to happen in the legal system, how long it is going to take. This is historic to have these indictments. And I think this one is obviously one of the most historic because of what it relates to in terms of overturning the election. We've never seen anything like this in our history. So these four indictments are historic no matter what eventually comes of it. And of course, he, Trump, is very good at wriggling out of accountability. So, you know, we just... He's never been accountable. He's (laughs) He's never 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 had to answer for anything. Yeah, so so that's partially why I think it's smart of us um, and your idea, Steve, to focus on the messaging because... It does matter what we say and how we continue to drive a narrative about this in the and how it helps us in our overarching, you know, um, electoral sort of aims, you know, right. coming into the election. So I'll I'll go ahead and give a kind of a rundown and then um, and then hear what you have to say a little bit more, Steve. But the first one is. Um, it's really important to push this beyond one actor. So yes, this relates to Donald Trump, um, these four counts uh, around the overturn, the attempt to overturn the 2020 election, mm-hmm. but the MAGA Republicans that supported, that schemed, that covered up for him are still in power today and need to be held accountable. Trump is not in power and hopefully he won't be again, but there are so many MAGA Republicans that are in power. So just rem- reminding people that this is not just a Trump thing. It is actually a, an overall conspiracy, which is really the second point. It's a great Connect. point. And they control the House right now, too. Is- exactly. Exactly. And that this is part of a larger criminal conspiracy f- by the MAGA movement from Congress, which they are controlling, to the courts, they're controlling the Supreme Court, to the states that they're controlling. They break laws, they spread lies, they foment corruption just to hold on to power. So that's how we want to define them in this in this political era, that they need to be defined as part of a larger criminal conspiracy. The third um, is to focus the arguments about outcomes, how this endangers our country, instead of process framings about the rule of law or things about hypocrisy, which are always less effective. Oh, that's interesting. Which we know. Mm-hmm. Which is something that we do a lot in progressive world is talk too much about the process. And we've just found that it's more important to talk about what this means, why it actually is hurting our country and endangering our democracy. And then um, the fourth is that this actually um, comes out of the role that everyday Americans play and must continue to play to push for accountability. It's the we the people weighed the evidence and decided to invite indict, and now we must demand that all of those face the consequences. So the grand jury of peers that has, has indicted him before. And then um, the uh, fifth one is just to talk about defiance. So like this, you know, what is the emotion that we want to get get across uh, around talking about this particular indictment? It's public defiance, um, reminding voters that we can and will stand up to defeat Trump and this fascist faction that he represents. Mm-hmm. So those points are really the, the main ones that we want to keep in mind as we talk about this. Yeah. Wow. I love that. And, and um, I was just thinking about, thinking back to the olden days, uh, not that long ago, but a few years ago uh, when I was on top of a bus with uh, a microphone in front of L.A. City Hall during uh, right mm. before Trump's first impeachment 
you know, his first mm-hmm. one, because there have been two mm-hmm. and now three, yeah. three separate uh, criminal uh, indictments. But, yeah. um, uh, you know, giving a speech about nobody is above the law. And here we are, you know, years later, uh, and, and we may have some accountability here. And, uh, but, you know, we pushed for it back then. We were uh, coming together to, mm-hmm. uh, to push for it back then. And we need to continue to do that, too. I really liked emphasizing the role that everyday Americans can do, uh, that mm-hmm. what we've done already and what we have to continue to do to push for that accountability. And, um, and you know, we better use this uh, to get out to the polls and to, you know, galvanize voters um, because, you know, he's still the front runner. He's still yeah. the Republican oh. front runner. I know, hugely. You saw that New York Times Siena poll that just came out. I mean, he's crushing. It was like fifty four percent to DeSantis at seventeen and everyone else in single digits. I mean, um, it's wild. It's wild. And and I saw another uh uh, statistic that something, and I'm, I, I don't have it in front of me, so forgive me, everybody, but s- something like 90% of Fox listeners and viewers mm-hmm. think that he did nothing wrong, that it's a witch hunt, uh, and, and that these indictments are all politically motivated. Mm-hmm. Fox is doing mm-hmm. a great job with their mm-hmm. audience, um, you know, subjugating the truth, but... Um, you know, that's just, uh, it's jaw-dropping that that many people still support him. And I was talking on the phone with my mom, who's a Democrat, and she's uh, mm-hmm. almost 90, so she, you know, consumes all this stuff. And and, wow, here, yeah. and, he, and she was like, can Biden really win? Can Biden beat Trump? You know, she was seriously mm-hmm. asking that question and wondering. And, and uh, you know, I know Biden can. But look, we can't take that for granted. We need to use this as as a um, uh, yet another yeah. reason to galvanize and to mobilize and 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 get folks, you know, interested in what is yet again the most important election of our lives. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's true. Like one of the scariest things about our politics right now is that three criminal indictments, including one that is so serious in terms of these felonies he's being charged with in terms of the attempt to overturn the election results, like that that could actually not only not hurt him, but help him in the election. It just, it's just really like bizarro, bizarro world in terms of that being a fact that we have to live with right now. I wonder, I was about to say he's going to raise a ton of money off of this new indictment, and he will. He might. He'll win a bunch of money, but I did see the reporting that he actually had a PAC that was going to run ads for him, return a bunch of money to them because they needed more money for legal fees. Um, Mm. So uh, just Mm. a friendly note to any, uh, you know, MAGA Republicans who might be listening to our podcast (laughs) (laughs) that your Uh money is going to fund his legal fees that's that's what's going on with that money so yeah (laughs) for sure i don't think i helped anyone just now but uh, (laughs) um but you know we'll see where we'll see where this goes this is like you said um it just broke unnamed co-conspirators also are kind of interesting we they they just he named six he said there were six unnamed co-conspirators so i think that is going to be kind of interesting to watch and follow Yeah, when you talk about pushing this Who beyond beyond one actor, it's really important uh, to know that I've all maintained for a long time that, uh, and this isn't any bold prediction, but that mm-hmm. a lot of his 
unnamed co-conspirators have been going along and towing this line just out of self-preservation because they know that they're wrapped up in it and the only way they can keep from going to jail themselves or being uh, held accountable themselves is by getting this man back into power so um yeah, we'll see mm. we'll see if any of those co-conspirators happen to be sitting members of congress yeah, that would be interesting. <laughs> I mean, be. it's. I can think likely. of a few when, as yeah. it relates to January 6th who are definitely, um, you know, participants in some way, shape, or form. So uh, whether yeah. it rises to the uh, legal standard of co conspirator under this indictment, we'll find out. But it's interesting. It's interesting. And also, they just announced the judge who's going to preside over this particular trial, um, a D.C. judge who was appointed by Barack Obama, um, Tanya Sue Chukton. So that Jamaican-born judge. So um, that's good. <laughs> Better than the Florida Gates. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because I almost hoped when you said that I didn't know who the judge was, that it was <laughs> a Republican appointee just just to, you know, because you know yeah. they're going to be shouting, this is an Obama judge, this is a biased judge, sure. it's rigged and all that. But frankly, yeah, yeah. they would do that even if it was not. You know, they just... Right. That's that their anyway. message. That's the, the whole message. thing is rigged. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, well, you know, keep popping know. that popcorn, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a long road. All right. Well, let's talk about our chop wood, carry water. Speaking of uh, elections, of course, Jess mm. not here, but we still uh, must chop wood and we must carry water, uh, <laughs> even from yes. Nova Scotia or wherever she is, if I made that up. Um, so uh, the Ohio special election is August mm -hmm. 8th. Is this Tuesday? For, uh, and it's the first time we've really mobilized nationally against a ballot measure. Uh, it's really important that you get involved. So do you want to talk about the ballot measure? Uh, yeah, the ballot, the election, the special election is a measure to decide whether the threshold, um, the, the, um, essentially the threshold for approving or disproving of ballot, of future ballot measures. So it was put right. on an attempt to try to stifle the abortion, um, like law that they're trying to put into effect by ballot measure next year. Right. And so this was the Republican um, legislature attempt to make that harder by making the threshold go to 60% versus 50 plus one. Right. But right now um, it's the measure is polling like we're going to like 20 points in our favor um, is the last thing I saw. And, you know, again, we can't take anything for granted. And so we have to keep pushing to call and write and do all the things to get out the vote. But it looked it looks like um, it's 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 winnable for us to actually push back on that on yeah. that attempt that they made to That's um, great. make democracy harder. Yeah, to make democracy harder and, and to make it clear that it's an effort to one, you know, block uh, the the new law, you know, allowing women to have autonomy over their own healthcare choices. Um, mm -hmm. And two, Ohio mm -hmm. is a very important Senate state, and we know, uh, and Republicans know, what having abortion on the ballot has done for turnout in states like Kansas yeah. recently. So, um, Yeah, Michigan, too. Yeah, exactly. So, um, mm -hmm. so this is the, uh, a, a craven, I can say that because um, Jess is not here, Craven mm. attempt 
to uh, subjugate our democracy and we won't have it, um, but don't take it for granted. We're going to put the resources from Swing Left in the show notes for you so that you can make calls and help make sure that we, um, we block this. So that's your chop wood, carry water. Uh, that election is Tuesday. Let's talk about our reasons for hope. What is your reason for hope? It has another judicial slant to it, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. <laughs> yes, because today, uh, Judge Janet, who many of us helped get elected in the Wisconsin Supreme Court election earlier this year in April, um, was sworn in today as the newest Yay. justice on the Wisconsin Supreme Court. Um, and so it was pretty exciting to see the images, the, um, um, they call it her investiture, investiture. <laughs> um, that's the technical term, but, um, there were, you know, just the, that the victory belongs to the people. I think that's what really gave me hope is, you know, we talk about these elections, we push people to make calls and give money and we do all these things. And then just to see the people who did that work in this room, you know, in this rotunda, it's just like being part of this beautiful victory. And like one of the people said, it's returning the court to like, it's, you know, where it used to be. It's like, it really is meaningful to this, to have the seat flip and I just saw the diverse, all the diverse people who made the victory happen um, in there and in the front row, and nice. it, it gave me a lot of hope. I love it. That is very hopeful. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. um, my reason for hope, uh, I will just say it's really an opportunity to thank our listeners and everyone uh, who has been supporting my campaign for the California State Assembly. Um, we have, uh, as I've mentioned on this show, we did a, we released the podcast of, of a fundraising event, a virtual fundraising we did with uh, Brian Tyler Cohen and Allison Gill. Um, June 30th was our first fundraising deadline, a very crucial time when folks decide, you know, and look at who is the viable candidate. And uh, it's really important to have a strong showing. Um, we just got our disclosures from all the candidates today and yesterday, and we have raised the most dough in this race. We are the top fundraiser in this race, and I'm just uh, so grateful to everyone, all of our listeners and folks, especially obviously here in California, uh, who have supported our campaign and are continuing to do that. Um, it's very affirming and humbling, and it gives me a lot of hope that together we can really do a lot of great things for people here in California and all over the country. That's fantastic and exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you for your support, Jennifer. I really appreciate it. Of course. It. Um, so we've got a great interview. We've been trying to nail down uh, – that's a bad way to put it. <laughs> we've been trying to schedule um, Representative Swalwell <laughs> for, for a long time. He's a busy guy and um, – uh, it's a great interview. It was a great interview. So uh, without further ado, here's our interview with Representative Swalwell. Representative Eric Swalwell represents California's 14th congressional district. He served as an impeachment manager during President Trump's second impeachment trial, is a member of the Homeland Security and Judiciary Committees, and is a spirited foil to the worst offenders in the Freedom Caucus. Congressman Swalwell, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. Well, uh, Steve, Jennifer, thank you for what you all do to you know, raise issues that matter and inspire your viewers you know, to care and participate. I, I can't think of a time uh, where we need more people uh, to know what's at stake uh, and what we all can do uh, to make a difference. 
Thank you for that. Um, and uh, your voice is so important in this work. And I'm sure you don't remember this, but I actually met you back in, it was either 2017 or 2018 here in LA uh, at a house party about engaging young people and millennials in campaign work. This is when I was working with Swing Left. Um, We've come a long way since then, and young people registered and voted in record numbers in the midterms, in the 2022 midterms. Um, so what's working now, and what can we continue to do to keep these vital voters engaged? We've been on a winning streak uh, since I last saw you, Steve. Yeah. Um, Donald Trump <laughs> was elected president, and we could have, um, as John Lewis would always say, uh, you can drown in a sea of despair or, or you can do something. And, and we all decided to do something. And so uh, really uh, Gen Z and millennials, they organized, they mobilized and they went to the ballot box. And in 2018, uh, we won the house. Uh, we flipped seven seats in California. In 2020, we kept the house. We won the White House. We won the Senate. In 22, when there was supposed to be a 50 seat swing you know, a red wave as it was being threatened. Uh, we beat all expectations in the House and in the Senate, we actually added a seat. Uh, meanwhile, in states like Wisconsin, we won a pivotal Supreme Court seat. And in mm -hmm. Jacksonville, Florida, where there's always been a Republican mayor, uh, we recently won a mayor's race. So we, we've been on a, a winning streak. So we have every right to be confident that our values, our ideas, our beliefs are winning. We shouldn't take it for granted, uh, but we shouldn't be anxious uh, or nervous about what's ahead because I, I think uh, the voters are with us and, and, and we just need to keep believing that uh, this is how change is going to come. Yeah, I love that. And that's part of what keeps us going too. I think that knowledge that we're winning. Uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit about just what it's like in Congress right now. So a, a few weeks ago, <laughs> you made some waves with your very accurate roasting of Jim Jordan and the Chris Way hearing. And um, you're you're so good at these kinds of exchanges that then go on social media and kind of help get the message out. Um, I know we've heard some reporting that you and McCarthy nearly came to blows after the censure of Representative Schiff. It's just such a volatile, divided situation in Congress right now. What can you share a little bit about kind of what it's been like from your yeah. perspective? What have you found effective to counter some of these Republican extremist shenanigans that are really permeating through the House in this session? I, I, I was raised by a cop um, who taught me to stand up uh, to bullies. And I, I see a lot of bullies. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, I, I see, you know, Jim Jordan and company, uh, you know, bullying you know, the gay community, trans kids, uh, the, the president's son, you know, putting his non-consensual nude images out there to score political points. I just see, you know, bullies who don't have ideas. They have grievances. Uh, they have culture wars that they want to stoke. Mm -hmm. And I, I think the best way, you know, to counter that is, is sometimes like arguing back and forth on the merits uh, is just not going to cut through with them. And they're not interested in that. And so sometimes you just have to play on their side of the field and call it what it is. And, and so with Jordan, if you're going to focus on Hunter Biden's non-consensual nudes, I'm going to call you guys a weirdo. Because to me, that's just kind of weird that you want to like display these in committee hearings. If you mm -hmm. want to pass legislation that essentially creates an on-demand gender check for our kids by banning trans kids in sports, we're going to say that you're kind of creeping your way into our kids' locker room. And that's, that's weird. Mm -hmm. If you're going to, you know, 
criminalize abortion, uh, well, then we're going to call you out for wanting to lock up women for making that very personal, private healthcare decision. And so it, to me, it's really about just calling it what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Speaker McCarthy, I'll, I'll leave it at this. I, I did not ever uh, share you know, that private conversation other, other than I'll just tell you, he threatened violence. And, and I think I handled it the way uh, in a nonviolent way. Um, mm-hmm. But that's what these guys rely on now is uh, they, they don't rely on ideas. They don't believe in voting. They believe in violence and all the way to the Speaker of the House who would threaten it on the floor of the House. They're, they're bankrupt of ideas. And so from January 6th to instances like this, uh, they're more comfortable with violence than they are with voting. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he picked on the wrong guy because clearly uh, for our listeners, you can't see the video, but you've got a pair of boxing gloves hanging up on the wall right behind you. So <laughs> you know who sent me those? Uh, the, the mayor of uh, Kiev. Uh, he used to be a professional uh, boxer. Oh, wow. And um, now he's on the front lines, you know, defending his country uh, oh. in Ukraine. But uh, wow. we've stood with him. And uh, he sent me the, the boxing gloves just as a thank you for all we do as a country uh, to keep them, you know, in the fight, so to speak. Different than a boxing match. Uh, lots, you know, on the, the line there. But uh, yeah, it's funny you mentioned those. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> Um, well, you brought up January uh, 6th, and you served as an impeachment manager for Trump's second uh, impeachment, as we all know. Uh, he continues to rack up indictments, and uh, new indictments from the Justice Department related to January 6th are reportedly imminent. Uh, so what can you tell us about Trump's legal jeopardy with these new looming indictments? Donald Trump has been a stranger to accountability almost his whole life. Uh, and now he's being introduced to it civilly and criminally. And, and he is entitled to and should be treated like every criminal defendant, which is equal justice under the Constitution and due process under the law. But I, I do think it's fair uh, if he is going to attack you know, the prosecutors and the judges and say it's a rigged prosecution. I, I, as a former prosecutor, uh, I think it's okay for all of us to say, well, what innocent person in a rigged prosecution would try and delay the trial for as long as possible, right? Like Mm -hmm. we give people a speedy trial right because we recognize that if there is an injustice, we want it corrected as quickly as possible. So if if you're having an injustice done against you and you think it's rigged, um, why would you want to wait as long as possible, you know, to have your day in court? It it seems to me like he's sure acting like a guilty person, presumed innocent, but the way he's talking about the case, and then when it comes time to try the case, wants to put it off uh, into the future uh, with no date, that to me should be called out. Yeah. And uh, the, the J6 Commission, of course, you know, uh, did a, a brilliant job laying out uh, exactly what happened you know, on I, that I day. I think they, to your point, that the January 6th committee, because they did the work over 18 months, called the witnesses in almost overwhelmingly. They were, you know, Donald Trump's appointees and colleagues. Um, Because they did that work, I think they put the Department of Justice in a position where they couldn't not investigate this. And whatever they decide, I just want them to follow the facts and the law. Uh, But the January 6th committee, uh, because they did that work in a serious way, we've got a real shot at finding more accountability uh, for Donald Trump. And I think Americans, when they look at the January 6th bipartisan committee, 
that interviewed almost entirely Republican witnesses. And then they contrast that with Jim Jordan's weaponization committee uh, or what they're doing on the Judiciary Committee or what James Comer is doing, you know, with Hunter Biden and, and you know, the Biden investigations. I mean, it's such night and day, right? Yeah. You had one committee that was professional, followed the facts, and you have another one where it's just, it's clownish. And, and so that committee, I think its legacy will not only be what it did for January 6th accountability, but really raise the standard for what you should expect in the public from a congressional investigation. Yeah, so true. That was a really good. It's a really good point and a good contrast for sure. Um, so switching gears to another topic that we like to talk about on this podcast a lot, which is um, currently being called Bidenomics. This question <laughs> comes from one of our listeners, actually, which is something that we also have talked about a lot ourselves. But um, how do you think Democrats across the board can get out a strong, clear, succinct message that really resonates and pops even in across rural, urban areas, et cetera, about the incredible benefits of Biden's economic plan yeah. and the risk posed to those strides if Republicans gain control of the Senate, hold the House, et cetera? Like, mm -hmm. could they they would essentially roll back those investments and and continue to cut taxes for the top one percent? So would love to hear your thoughts on that and just what you think if there's a role for everyone listening, what what can what role can they play in in this game as well? Yeah, that, that's right. I, I think it's a comeback story that's taking shape now because before he was president, you know, we were in the depths of COVID, unemployment was spiking. Uh, obviously, mm -hmm. inflation, uh, you know, would continue to go up because of COVID, and now through the Infrastructure and Jobs Act, through the Inflation Reduction Act, which also brings down the cost of healthcare, you know, through the investments in you know, chip manufacturing here in the United States, mm -hmm. you're seeing record uh, unemployment, record employment. You know, the mm -hmm. unemployment number is at an all-time low. The yeah. jobs number, you know, is also uh, growing at an all-time high. Inflation is coming down, and, and Americans, as I said, they're they're back to school, they're back to church, they're back to Main Street, and, and they're back to work. And so, you know, you're seeing this comeback comeback story for our country. And so, we we don't want to go back you know, to where we were with high unemployment, you know, high inflation uh, and, uh, you know, a yeah. country that was in chaos. And, and, and on the world stage, by the way, um, we will ultimately be able to spend less on defense because we've put back together uh, NATO, which Donald Trump, you know, had completely mm. destroyed. So our, our international alliances uh, are coming back together. And then I would just say practically, we probably could talk more about I-95. Um, and almost think about that as a, uh, I would say, kind of a metaphor for just the Biden administration. A couple months ago, you know, because of a fire on I-95 in Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. a good section of it collapsed. And most experts thought it was going to take a year for this major artery along the East Coast mm -hmm. to reopen. And it took two weeks. Yep. And that's what you get with the Biden administration and incompetent people governing. You had a competent governor elected in Pennsylvania and Josh Shapiro. You had the Biden administration hard at work to put federal dollars in place. And in two weeks, it was reopened. So that that is competence versus, as I said, chaos. And, and mm -hmm. so that's a frame we should continue, I think, to lean in on because sometimes that, you know, kind of pardon the pun, but like that concrete example is what's going to resonate most with people. Sure. You, yeah. And do you feel like that 
all the Democrats running across the country will take that story on this time in a way that, uh, frankly, they really didn't in 2022, according to some of the research. I, I, I'm urging them to. And I, I think that's one of our weaknesses, frankly, as a party, is that we're too modest. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we should. We should remind people we should be making wallpaper of the Infrastructure and Jobs Act and, and Republicans are too, you know, they're so shameless. Right. So yeah. our modesty and their shamelessness is not helping us because yeah. they show up at the ribbon cuttings for projects that they voted against. Yeah. And we just think, well, that's good government. That's what you're supposed to do. No, no. Like it's OK, uh, you know, to do an end zone dance for something that we worked really hard to do that yeah. helps a lot of people. And you should also yeah. obviously tell your colleagues take credit for it before the other guy does because they're going right. to take they're going to take credit for it if you don't. <laughs> no, for sure. No, that's right. Well, um, I, I encourage your viewers uh, if they want to follow the work that I'm doing. I'm at Eric Swalwell on Threads and uh, Instagram, nice, uh, as well as Twitter. Uh, so, uh, th thank you all for just as I said what you're doing. Uh, it matters, but. We, we can't be I, going into this election. I, I fear that sometimes just as Democrats, you know, we are not confident enough and, and we let the littlest thing, you know, rattle us. And, and mm. we have to be confident because it begets confidence and mm -hmm. our confidence will inspire young people, you know, to want to volunteer, to make phone calls, to knock on doors, uh, to text bank, you know, to make small contributions. And, and you have to have that confidence uh, to win. You know, the mm -hmm. team uh, that wins is usually the team that knows they were going to win. Mm -hmm. And so for us, you know, we've got, as I said, what, what we believe in, our values, our principles, you know, our belief in democracy and freedom, that's where most Americans are. So we shouldn't be, you know, the side that is worried whether we're going to win this or not. We got this. We just have to show up. Well, you you cued in perfectly to what is usually our final question. Um, we ask everyone, what gives you hope for the future? Um, but I do want to just really quickly ask you about something. You mentioned you know, the healing of NATO, which enables us to yeah. not spend as much on our military. Um, do you see a world where we can actually spend less on our military and reallocate some of that money to important social programs? Yeah, no, we have to. Uh, for education, for healthcare, you know, AI, you know, there's a lot of potential, there's a lot of peril that could come from AI. Uh, I, I want to look at the potential of it, but it's only got great potential and possibility if every kid in America, regardless of, you know, their uh, economic background has access to it. And so that means on defense, uh, you know, using our allies to reduce what we spend. And, and that's why I think putting back together NATO uh, can mean in the future, more money into our neighborhoods. I hope so. That gives me a lot of hope. So, uh, sorry, I diverted from our last question. I'll just ask you uh, real quick, um, what is really giving you the most hope right now for the future? You know, it's the March for Our Lives uh, generation. They put someone in Congress and Maxwell Frost, mm -hmm. after 2018, after Parkland, they pulled themselves up out of that unimaginable grief. They beat 19 A-rated NRA members of Congress and, you know, they're starting to come into their own agency and, and confidence uh, and leadership. And, you know, they're going to help us get out of this, you know, dark uh, Trumpism chapter in American history. And so this is uh, an important election. I think they get that we need them uh, and they inspire me every day to want to show up. Amazing. Me too. Me too. And I was thinking about that because you used to be one of our youngest members in Congress, and now you've yeah. got Maxwell Frost in there. That <laughs> you know. That's true. 
um, oh, who cool. is terrific, and he he was gracious enough to join our show too. So um, uh, mm-hmm. nice to see you again after all these years. Um, thank you so thank much you. for thanks your for you. yeah. Thank you yeah, so much. Thanks so much for yeah. your work and thanks for, for being your leadership. Here. Appreciate you. My pleasure. Thank you for joining us today. This is how we win. We win when we all get involved. We would love to hear from you. Please send us an email to hello at howwewinpod.com or you can find us on social at howwewinpod, at bluesboysteve, at Jen and Kona, and at jesscraven101. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review on Apple or wherever you get your pods and share our show with your friends and family. There's always work to do, so I think we'll all three be back uh, from vacation next Wednesday. We'll see you then.